I uh, thoroughly enjoyed our uh, our session this morning, although I'm not so sure that we really exhausted Daniel chapter 6. I, I think I got distracted by the Spirit, <laughs> led me in places I didn't think I was going to go, uh, but uh, perhaps tonight he will uh, help us finish uh, Daniel chapter 6. And then, uh, Lord willing, I want to share with you my testimony a little bit and kind of take you from uh, where I first came to know the Lord Jesus and then uh, how, how the Lord ultimately led me uh, into a place where uh, I went from being a target of missionaries, that is the mission field, to actually being uh, a missionary. And uh, I want hopefully to be able to share that uh, with you this evening, but I wanted to just tidy up a little bit uh, of Daniel chapter uh, 6. And so uh, I think I might have left you this morning with some learning objectives, uh, what we wanted to learn from Daniel chapter 6, rather than, you know, the technical aspects of Daniel chapter 6. And uh, I thought maybe we'd make some personal application based upon Daniel's character in the midst of a very dark world where he lived. You know, sometimes we think we have trouble here, but, you know, Daniel was in a place that was really troubled, wasn't he? He was in a place called Babylon, right? By a show of hands, how many people know how that place ended up being called Babylon? Got one hand? Sam almost looked like he was going to raise his hand, but then he embraced his wife instead. It was kind of a nice move there, brother. That was uh, sweet. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, so... Babylon got its name because it was a place that attempted to do something. It attempted to build a tower, didn't it? Where the people were there, they attempted to build a tower. They, they built a tower and they all gathered around the tower and they said, we're going to make a name for ourselves in this place. We're not going to go over the whole face of the earth. We're not going to do what God told us to do. What we're going to do right here is we're going to build ourselves a tower that's going to reach all the way up into heaven. You remember... They had the flood fresh on their mind, right? Wasn't too far from the time of the flood that they decided that they were going to build the tower. Why do you think they wanted to build it up nice and high? They wanted to avoid. Did you have your hand up? They wanted to avoid the judgment of God. And if they could escape it by building a tower, that's what they do. Sometimes we build our own little towers, don't we? (laughs) We don't necessarily want to bend the knee and bow the head and tell God, you're right, I am a sinner. I am not worthy of the least of your blessings, but I'm going to continue in my own way, doing my own thing, and hope that somehow or another I might escape the judgment. It ain't going to work, guys. It didn't work for them, and it won't work for you. The only way you're going to escape judgment is to flee to the one who can carry you through it unscathed. And his name is Jesus Christ. He, he's your only hope. You, you ain't going to be able to do it. You can't save yourself. You know, there, there comes a point in your life, in each and every one of our lives, where we have to come to that conclusion and readily admit we cannot save ourselves. You can't build the tower high enough. So when they were in the middle of building this tower... God decided to come down and visit it. And he saw what they were trying to do. 
He probably knew what they were trying to do before he came down and visited. But just so we can understand the process, he came down and he saw what they were trying to do. And he says, you know what? He says, they're going to continue to do this until I intercede. And he interceded in a miraculous way, didn't he? I think it's kind of miraculous. They were talking to one another. Planning with one another, scheming with one another, teaming with one another, building this tower with one another. They were unified around this tower. They were going to do it. And God did something very interesting. He confounded their languages. And it became the tower of Babel. Where we get the word Babel. Sometimes we say, you know, what are you babbling about? I, don't, I can see your lips moving, and I hear some words coming out of your mouth, but I don't understand a single word you're saying. And he confounded the languages. And so they couldn't continue with the work. Because, you know, when you can't understand what somebody else is saying, you begin to question their motives. What exactly does he mean by that? You start to question other people's motives, and all of a sudden you, you kind of back away from them a little bit. And so all those who could speak to one another and understand one another, they kind of teamed up together. And all those who couldn't, they kind of teamed up with the ones that could. And so they began to divide. And guess what they had to do? They had to spread out. That's what they did, isn't it? Because that's what God told them to do. But they wouldn't do it willingly or voluntarily. He had to do something in order to make them do it. And that's how they ended up finally doing and obeying what God had told them to do. Many people believe that our languages actually originated from a single language. And I think they're right. Did you know that in Korea, when a baby first start, learns to start talking, they say mama, baba. Almost similar to our children, right? Do you know that children in the Philippines, their, their, their mothers and fathers will talk to them, do you want some mama? Well, what do you think mama might mean? Food, nourishment. In Korea, they said, Mama Mogole, you want to eat? And you know, pa, it, it, it's almost universal. Of course, there's somebody sitting here who said, No, my mother used to handle pa. And, you know, I, I'm just saying that generally the rule, there are some exceptions, but generally the rule is there's a ma and a pa. Languages orient or come from a single origin. More proof. So Daniel is in this place, place of Babel. Babylon, and he's there, and it's a very dark place, that Daniel was humble. Would you agree with me that Daniel was humble? But did he have some things that he could have been proud about? Did he? Absolutely, right? Who was the best interpreter of dreams in the whole kingdom? Yeah. He could have hung a shingle outside his door and say, if you want to know what the future holds, come and see me. For $9.99, I will tell you. He could have done it. But he didn't. He humbly submitted to the will of God and accepted the circumstances as they came. Circumstances belong to God. Consequences belong to God. Would you agree with me that that's true? Yes or no? Now, I want to I remind you that when I am here talking to you, 
it's no longer a spectator sport. I need some interaction. <laughs> I need to know you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth. And so I'm going to need some help from time to time. This will work. This will work. But this isn't going to work. You know, I was speaking in a Korean church one day. And, you know, Koreans are very, very, uh, generally, as a rule, they're, they're very formal people, especially in a formal setting. And so uh, the elders will sit there, their hands together, and they will, you know, just, there's no expression on their face. That doesn't Well, in my usual manner, I looked at them and I said, I think I took a wrong turn. I think I'm in North Korea here because I, I, I don't see any smile. I don't see any happiness and I don't see any joy on your face. And you told me you were Christians. And I know one thing about Christians. They have the Lord Jesus in their heart. And because of that, they have joy. And joy, when you have joy, it doesn't just stay inside. Joy comes out, right? I mean, if you have joy, it comes out. I can look at some, you've got joy. I know you've got joy because you're getting married in a couple weeks. There's joy, right? But there's joy in our hearts. So you can't, it, can't be, it can't be hidden. Let your light so shine among them. As little kids, we used to sing that. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Well, let it shine, you know, put a smile on your face. Let people know. Anyways, I've gotten off the track again. But Daniel was humble. And he was humble. And, but, you know, I, I think sometimes we must understand what that word means. And, and when we hear the word humble, we think it means like when somebody compliments you on, wow, you baked a wonderful cake. Well, the Lord, you know, uh, well, that was a delicious spaghetti dinner. And we said, you know, we, we said, that's not humility. You know what humility really means? Submitting to authority. That's what humility means. Submitting to authority. And did you know what the definition really of sin is? The definition of sin is rebellion. It's the principle of sin is rebellion. The principle of humility is submission to authority. You know why there's so much trouble in our marriages? There's no submission to authority. Some of your brothers are saying, yeah, she never listens to me. But I'm not talking about that, bro. I'm talking about the authority that you need to submit to. When you've got it right, she'll get it right. But if you got it wrong, she'll get it wrong. Real humility means being subject to authority. You know, sometimes when we read Scripture, we read that the Lord Jesus learned what? Obedience by the things. Yes. How is it that he had to learn it? Doesn't he know all things? Why is it that he had to learn? How is it possible that the one who is omniscient, all-knowing, how is it he had to learn something? How is it? Well, you see, when you're the creator of everything, when you're the one who opened your mouth and spoke creation into existence, The reality is, you've never known what it meant 
to be humble or to be subject to an authority. You didn't learn being subject to authority until you, or he rather, submitted to the authority of his father in becoming a man. Am I, am I right there? Am I right? Thank you, thank you for the help. I appreciate that. Thank you. She's giving me a, yeah, you're right. You know, the Lord Jesus learned obedience. He, beca- he, w- he became humble because he submitted to authority. He never had to submit to authority before because he was the ultimate authority. He said, I do always those things that please my father. I don't do anything of myself. Whatever I see him doing, that's what I do. Daniel was humble, not in the sense that he walked around telling about it. Yeah, no, I really don't do that good a job with interpreting dreams. Just, you know, yeah. no. He was humble because he submitted to authority. It wouldn't have been easy to submit to the authority of these pagan kings, I wouldn't imagine. Totally different people, right? You remember when they tried to feed Daniel and his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Hey, we want to give you the best food in all of the land. It's it's delicious. You're going to like it. Mugugai pan and, you know, uh, chicken fricassee and all this other stuff. And they were going to give it to him. And, and, you know, they really, hey, I'm going to bring it out. I'm going to lay the smorgasbord out for you and just enjoy it, whatever you No, we're not going to eat it. Why aren't you going to eat it? Our God has said no. They submitted to authority. They were humble because they submitted to the authority. Wouldn't it be great if we did? Novel idea, right? To be humble and to submit to the authority of God's word. So Daniel was humble. And if there's anything we need in life, it's humility. I heard a story about a man who liked to brag that he was a servant of God. And so he was invited to go to some country. Maybe it was Korea. I don't know. They take things literally sometimes. They say, hey, the servant of God is coming. Oh, good. Let's meet him at the airport. They met him at the airport and he had his bags with him. And they said, here's a car. Go ahead, load your bags up in the car and we'll get ready to go. And he said, I have to load my own bags. It was fine saying he was a servant of God until somebody actually treated him like a servant. And that happens to us sometimes too, doesn't it? We don't, we don't mind acting like we're humble, but we sure don't want to be humble. <laughs> I mean, acting like you're humble is fun. Oh, he's so humble. He's really, you know, such a humble man. What if he actually touched that humility with a little bit of necessary obedience and submission to authority... It doesn't always look humble. A lot of offense. I know I've actually thought I was humble from you know, some delusion I was having. And I had people actually treat me like a servant. I'm highly offended. How could you treat me like a servant? Until I come to my senses and I realize that's exactly what I am. And that's exactly what you are. When we enter into a relationship with the Lord Jesus, you know, it's a, it's a master-disciple relationship. It's a master-servant relationship, right? Uh, if I understand it correctly. I mean, he's the Lord, right? 
and that's a relational term, right? If you enter into a relationship with the Lord Jesus and you call him Lord, what does that mean? That means you are what? Subject to his authority. We got to act that way, right? If we're subject to authority. You know, I, I think it's interesting, I know particularly with myself, you know, when in dealing with my, my wife, you know, I, oftentimes I will, I will tell her to do something and she'll be slow about doing it, you know. Hey, didn't you hear me? Yes, I heard you, but I was doing something else over here. Woman, hear me. And I find myself in the same way with God. You know, Tim. Hey, Tim. Hold on a minute. Tim. We're slow to respond. That's not humility. Humility, being subject to authority, means you are going to respond to a command. I want to touch on being true both to yourself and God. You know, being true to yourself is an important thing. There are many people in this world who don't even know who they really are. And prior to coming to that knowledge of the Lord Jesus, might have thought they were many things. They never really know who they really are. I was here one day when there was a brother by the name of, and I think it was Jabe Nicholson, who said something very profound. And it was profound and particularly important for me to hear because I had recently lost my identity. I had been for 20 years Sergeant First Class Stafford. And all of a sudden, now out of the Army, I really didn't understand my identity. I didn't really didn't understand who I, who I was. And, and he said from the platform that day, he said, Tim, no, he didn't say Tim. He said, never ever be anything other than who you are because God thought you up. And I think that's an important thing for us to remember. There may be many people with your name, but there's only one you. And you are unique. And you are special. And you are loved by God. So loved, as a matter of fact, that he sent his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus, into the world. You know, and he came willingly, knowing what he was going to suffer to bring you to himself. That's love. Do you remember that song we used to sing together? If that isn't love, the ocean is dry. The birds, they can't fly. And there's no stars in the sky. If that isn't love then heaven's a myth. Oh, there's no feeling like this. If that isn't love. You know, when Christ Jesus, when he left to come to this world to ransom the likes of you and I, he knew what was waiting for him. That was love. You see, something about the Lord Jesus is unique because once we come to a place where we know him, he begins to teach us who we really are. You know, on the general level, he would teach us first and foremost that we're sinners in need of salvation. That's the first thing he teaches us. The second thing he teaches us is that he is our Savior and that we need him. And so we begin to learn dependence upon him. And then he begins to develop in us uh, 
for lack of a better term, and maybe some of you will know a better one later, he begins to develop in us gifts. He begins to work on us in, a, in a, such a way that he makes us useful for the body of Christ. He makes us useful for the church. He begins to equip us. He begins to teach us things that we need to know. And he begins to develop us both in our personality, in our behavior, in our manner, and things like that so that we can be used. And each and every person who stands on this platform before you share with you the word of God is a unique uh, individual and is gifted in a unique way. I certainly am not Randy Amos. I certainly am not Henry Sardinia. I'm not Malcolm Skelton. I'm not Aaron. I'm not, I'm not I am who I am. I am who God has made me. I am who God has developed. And you are who you are. And God has given you gifts. Every person who comes to know the Lord Jesus has a gift. It's important for us to be true to that which he has given us. If he's given you a heart for sharing the gospel, go share the gospel. If he's given you a heart for hospitality, go be hospitable. If he's given you a heart to love the poor, go love the poor. But be true to what it is that God is working on you and working in you about. Don't try to be anybody else. Be who you are. Sometimes our adversary tries to tell us we're somebody we're not. And he deceives us. If you want to know who you are, Lord, oh, we even heard it today. Somebody prayed it, I think. Lord, search me and try me. He will. You want to know who you are? Ask the Lord. If I'm not mistaken, there's somewhere in Scripture where it says something like, we were created in His image and His likeness. You're created for great things. You're created for wonderful things, for things of value, for eternal things. Can you imagine that? Eternal things. Eternal value. To be with Christ Jesus forever. Not just to go there and sit on some cloud playing a harp somewhere. But he's got plans for you. Big plans for you. Matter of fact, he wants you to rule and to reign. And I don't mean reign in the sense of raindrops. Reign in the sense of rule with him. That's who he's developing you to be. He has made us, if I'm not mistaken, and I think I read it somewhere in Scripture, He has made us to be priests and kings. You want to know what your identity is? Ask God. You know, the things that you are suffering right now, the things that you are enduring right now, they have a design. They're... they're, God is actually working on you. There's a design. It didn't just happen. That loss you experienced, that, that feeling of betrayal that you experienced, maybe illness has come into your life, maybe some other form of difficulty, it's not without purpose or design. It is meant to develop you into the image and likeness 
of God Almighty and more specifically, His Son, the Lord Jesus. Do you hear me? Do you hear me? Give me a little head shake. Do you agree with me? That these things come into your life to do that. They're trying to chip away all of that stuff that is preventing you from being the person that God would have you to be. The one who is being groomed and developed to rule and to reign with Christ. Does that get your juices flowing at all? I hope so. I hope so. Because, you know, if you don't understand that those difficulties that are coming into your life have eternal purpose and value and merit, then you're suffering like somebody in the world suffers. Because somebody in the world who doesn't have Christ, that's all they do. It's just torment and torture. But for you, it's building character. It's teaching you how to be patient and humble and kind and considerate in the worst of circumstances. I don't know if you guys have ever read this before, but one day God is going to put you in a place where you are going to be judging angels. Did you know that? Have you learned that? It's very important. Because that's why you're suffering the things that you're suffering right now. That's why you're going through the difficulties that you're going through right now. Because there's a design. It's meant to train you and to develop your mind. To give you a sense of understanding. You remember the story of the demoniac, right? Of Gadarene. You remember, you remember him? Right? And he was plagued with, with... How many were there? There were like how many? I mean, there were a loads, right? What's that? 2,000. 2,000. What did he say his name was? Legion, because there were many. Do you know that after the Lord cast out the demons, did you know that he sat at the feet of Jesus, clothed, and you know the rest of it? In his right mind. That's what God is working on you right now. He's trying to take you from a bad mind And he's trying to bring that bad mind into a good mind. Whatsoever things are lovely. Whatsoever things are of good report. Whatsoever things have virtue. Think on these. How many times have you allowed your mind to go in a place it shouldn't go? Remember the Lord, he said, why are you entertaining evil thoughts? Why do we entertain evil thoughts? My goodness. They don't bring joy. They certainly don't bring happiness. Why do you entertain evil thoughts? I wonder why so-and-so did such and such. I wonder why that person did so-and-so and such. Why do you entertain evil thoughts? Whatever so-and-so and such and such did, that's on them. It has nothing to do with you. You keep your mind on those things that are good. You keep your mind on those things that are lovely, that are wonderful, that are eternal, and they have value. For those who are being groomed, to rule and to reign with Christ. Have you ever heard the story of somebody who took a job with one of the corporations and they found favor with somebody and they were being groomed for, you know, executive positions? And you might look at that person as though, wow, I wish I was that person. I want you to stop wishing you were that person because what's happening with you right now is that you are being groomed. I don't, you might say, well, Tim, I'm not very smart. You know, I had trouble with the second grade. I, 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 you know, I don't care. One day, 
you are going to rule and to reign with Christ. Do you believe me? If you don't believe me, do you believe the Word of God? Because that's what it teaches. Be true to yourself and to God. And one of the worst things we can do in life is to lie to ourselves about who we really are. To pretend that we are something that we're not. You know, many people deceive themselves into thinking that they are Christians. Because when they were 10 years old, they said a prayer. And they said, Jesus, come into my heart and save me. And then that's the last time they've ever prayed. And it's the last thing they've ever done, which even smacked of anything Christian. And they think and say somehow or another to themselves, I have no fear of death because I've asked Jesus into my heart. i got to tell you, if that's the extent of your experience with Christ Jesus, you are not a Christian. You are not born again. You are heading straight, headlong into an eternity of separation from God. If that is the extent of your understanding and your relationship to the Lord Jesus, you are walking every day, step by step. Listen to the clock. Talk, tick, talk. Walking right into eternity without Christ. Don't, don't do it. Be sincere, be honest, and stand before God. Open your heart up. Lord, search me. Am I really? Have I really believed? Have I really trusted? You know, it's not a bad thing to examine yourself from time to time. I think I read that somewhere. I'm trying to remember exactly where. But some of you might know that we are to actually examine ourselves. Is it a good idea? It is a good idea. Because we need to come to some conclusions about ourselves, particularly if we are truly born again or not. If we have truly received the Lord Jesus or not. There are a couple of things we can use to gauge that. We can ask ourselves, do we love the brethren? Do you? That's one question you might be able to ask yourself. Do you love the brethren? You don't love the brethren. And sistren too. But if you don't love the brethren, you might have a problem. There's another one. The Word of God. Has it become tedious and boring to you? Same old word every day. Nothing new. Kind of leave it on your coffee table now. Has that happened? Do you love the brethren? You love the Word of God. You're probably in pretty good standing. But if either of those things isn't a part of your life, if somebody has to coax you to come to church, oh, please, please, Come on, man. Get out of bed on Sunday and come to church. That's what it takes to get you here. Might be a problem. Of course, I'm probably preaching to the choir now, right? It's Sunday evening and you're here, so you probably weren't coached too hard to get here. Anybody, was, anybody coached really hard to be in? I doubt it, right? So I'm probably definitely preaching to the choir. But it's important to know that love of the brethren is a good indication of where you stand in relationship to the Lord Jesus. And love of the word. Be true to yourself and to God. There's another one I want to talk to you about. It's consistency. Very important for us to be consistent in our Christian walk. It's very important because 
If we don't have consistency, uh, there might be uh, some problem because basically what it might mean is that we are oftentimes uh, sidetracked. I got a direction I want to go. Yeah, I want to go to Boulevard Bible Chapel, and but I also want to go and do so and so and such and such. So I'm kind of weighing out which, which is going to be better for me. And so sometimes Boulevard Bible Chapel wins, and and, and sometimes uh, fishing uh, wins. Uh, sometimes Boulevard Bible Chapel wins, and sometimes that movie I really wanted to see on Sunday evening wins. And so the lack of consistency. Not good. And so in our story of Daniel, and it's easy, I get so sidetracked all the time, but in our story of Daniel, we see somebody who was extremely consistent in all that he did. It wasn't like faithful for God one day and then the next day he was running with the Babylonians. It's not as if one day he was saying, you know, I think I'll pray and I'll face uh, Jerusalem when I do it and I'll open up my window. It's daily, daily, that was his life. And so even these people who were plotting against him, they knew if they were going to find anything to, to damage him, they, it was going to be because of his consistency. You know, it's important for us, I believe, to be consistent in attendance with church. Very important. Now, some of you might be saying, yeah, Tim, that's kind of legalistic, isn't it? You know, telling me I've got to go to church every Sunday. Well, I don't know. I don't think so. Because legalistic kind of means that you're pursuing some kind of process or procedure or uh, program in order to be saved. But that's not what you're doing when you're coming to churches. You're not coming to church to be saved, Right? You're coming to church to have fellowship. Our brother said this, I think it was this evening, maybe it was this morning, about being received into, it was this morning, being received into fellowship because we need to be accountable, right? We need to be accountable. Yes or no? We need to be accountable. You know, I need to be accountable to Sam. Sam needs to be accountable to me. I need to be accountable to John, both Johns. I need to be, and, and they need to be accountable to me. And we need to work together because this is really a cooperative effort, isn't it? It's, it's no uh, every man is an island kind of a thing. No, we're, we're all connected. And we need each other. We desperately need one another. Do you know when our fellowship kind of lags or lacks a little bit, it, it might be because something's not right in our heart about what we're doing, maybe, about what we're feeling, what we're thinking. It may not be right. And so the, the love of the brethren might diminish just a little bit. We definitely don't want that to happen. Consistency. You know, I had somebody tell me, I, I, had, a, I had a fight with my husband and I just didn't think I should go to church the way I was feeling. No. Why? Well, look, at my eyes are puffy. There's tears and snot and everything else is horrible. Come. Especially on that day. I just look so terrible. I've seen worse. Trust me. I've looked worse. What am I talking about? Do you know when I came to know the Lord Jesus, I cried and cried and cried for months. I cried about all the wasted life. 
I, I cried about all the pain I caused other people. I cried about my lack of sensitivity to the people who were truly trying to help me. And though I, didn't, I, I didn't respond to them right. And I thought about all the wasted time and how am I going to get that time back? And I knew I couldn't get it back. My kids would ask, Dad, are you all right? Do we need to call someone? I'm fine. I've never been better. And it may not have looked it, but all those tears, it was like a a washing away. The regret, all of that, it's washing away. It's, It's leaving me. But it was a process of grief. I don't know if any of you have ever had that kind of feeling. So much wasted time. Wasted opportunity. But I know when I came to know the Lord Jesus, you know, I was happy. But at the same time, the light was turned on. You know? Things were a little hazy and a little cloudy before. But now the light is on and I see what I have done. And so, knowing that in spite of all that I had done, God still loved me and cared for me, and wanted me to be his own, well, what else could I do but respond to that in love and affection towards him? But I cry. I don't know if you guys have ever cried, thinking about your sin, thinking about the things you've done. It's just the the heartache of it all, you know? I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but it's happened to me. I can remember sitting in a church one day. This was a church that was up in uh, Georgia. I was sitting there, and uh, it was an Easter Sunday, and uh, the Lord was dealing with me in in such a unique way. And I I went to church. I had Timmy and Jody with me, and we were sitting in the pew, and and there was this family, you know, next to us, and mom and dad and Two beautiful little girls with their white Easter dresses on. And I saw this beautiful picture of a father, how he had brought his children along and how he had obviously, by all appearances, had loved his wife tremendously. And they had these two beautiful children sitting next. And my life was just rife with ruin and wreckage. The preacher on the platform preaching his heart out he said something he said as far as the east is from the west so has god put your sins from you (laughs) and the tears started flowing i don't know if you've ever had that experience but i knew that god had separated me from my sin although i could see the wreckage i could see the damage i could see all the things that had happened to me in my life and the things that i had caused in my life personally i had seen it it was i understood it and i bawled my eyes out i mean it wasn't like you know sometimes you see like that little tear that wrote no it wasn't like that i mean it was almost like the cartoons have you ever seen the cartoons where the baby starts crying and the tears are shooting out of the eyes That's what it was like. But it wasn't just tears. It was that gooey stuff that comes out of your nose too. Have you ever tried? It was impossible. And at the end of the meeting, feeling so embarrassed and ashamed because I couldn't control my tears, that young father with those beautiful children and beautiful wife, he came over to me, he put his hand on my shoulder and he said, it's going to get better, man. 
it's going to get better. Praise God. It did. Were any of you saved like me from being a sinner, hell-bent and hell-deserving? Or am I the only one here tonight who was saved from hell? Because I know when he saved me, I was overjoyed. Do you know that one of the reasons I ended up here in Boulevard Bible Chapel was because I was bouncing around from church to church and church to church and hearing wonderful sermons, but you know, it was as if they were talking about a guy who had gone home and maybe was coming back one day. But I needed a present reality Savior sitting next to me, in me, around me, helping me from day to day. And they were talking about him as if he were gone. I didn't need a gone Savior. I needed the ever-present Savior. I don't know. Maybe some of you guys need Him from time to time. I needed Him every moment. I could feel the sense of the world dragging me back into it. And I don't want to go there. I needed my Jesus. The one who saved me. The one who had mercy on me. The one who extended grace and kindness to me. That's the Jesus I needed. And you know, in my search, in my search to find some place that talked about the living God and the ever-present Jesus, I sent away because somebody told me there was a group of people, weird bunch, called Plymouth Brethren. And you're not going to believe this, Tim. Christ is the center of everything they do. I hope that's still true today. You know, I sent away for a directory for Waltrick Publishers. I don't know, some, they're probably not even in existence anymore. But I got the directory. And you know who delivered the directory to me? You may, you may, have, you may know them. Nicole. Alan Nicole. I don't know if you... Do you, you remember them? They used to be here? Yeah. Well, she worked for FedEx. And that's where I was working at the time. And she used to be the person that delivered the mail from office to office. And she brought me the, the directory. She said, where did you get it? I said, why do you want to know? She says, well, I'm going to hold it hostage until you tell me. I said, well, I ordered it from Walter Publishers, but really, why do you want to know? She says, well, I go to the meeting down here at Boulevard Bible Chapel, and I'd be glad to make an introduction for you, but we need that directory because we're moving to Virginia. So she brought me here to Boulevard Bible Chapel. And the two people I saw standing at the door when I walk in, one of them was this gentleman right here, this brother we call Malcolm, or this Malcolm we call brother, and Don Gustafson. And I walked in. Shook my hand, welcomed me. And I saw right behind them Colossians 1.18. Who knows what it says? Does anybody know? That's right. And I said to myself, we'll see about that right here. I heard that before. And I came and I sat down right where everybody said, that's, that's, where, that's where I sat. And Bob Anderson stood up and offered to him a thousand, a thousand, you know, you know, a thousand, a thousand Thanksgivings, right? That's Bob Anderson's hymn, right? No? That's him. I mean, I look down and expect to see the author, you know, Bob Anderson. No. But I said, wasn't he the guy that was just out there helping them park the cars? Wasn't that other guy, Aaron, the one that had the broom back there? And he's standing up and he's talking about Jesus. And Malcolm praying and Brother Don Gustus and others with the hymns that were being sung. 
and the praises that were being lifted and the joy that was just coming. And I, you're not going to believe what happened. Do you, what do you think happened? Yes! <laughs> Tears! Tears of joy, of gratitude. How many meetings do you think I missed from that day going forward? None! No one even had to call me and say, hey, Tim, are you coming to church? They knew I was going to be here. Why? Because where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst, and I need him. How about you? Do you need him? I know I do. And you know, the time I need him most is the time I think I need him less. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. I'm getting along okay. I probably don't need to, you know. That's the time you need him most. Is the time you think you're doing pretty good by yourself. Well, as is usually the case when I start to think I'm going to teach on something, I teach on something else, and I, I apologize for that. I, I don't understand it exactly. Uh, I'm going to try to do better in the future. I've got a few more slides here. Let me just pop this one up. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What did, what did he do that was so amazing? You see, he's the Lord of glory, isn't he? And what, what form did he take when he came? The form of a servant. And, and, and what was the work that he did with his disciples? He washed their feet. You know, if I'm not mistaken, that word servant in the Greek, and somebody, correct me if I'm wrong, is that word doulos? And it actually means the lowest of servants. It's not like he was a, you know, one of the, no, the lowest place. He who had the highest place condescended to the lowest place. He didn't bring his entourage with him. He didn't bring the heavenly angels with him, so to speak. If he had done that, if he had come in his glory, if he had come with his entourage, if he had come with the thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of angels that rightfully would have ministered to him, he left them behind. Do you know why? Do, do you think it would be easy to approach? I'm not a Donald Trump fan. Don't get me wrong. But do you think you could just walk up to Donald Trump and start talking to him without having to go through the Secret Service? Without having to go through bodyguards and so on and so forth and all of that. And just the sheer glory of the position that he holds would prevent you from getting very close to him. If Christ Jesus came in his glory, you wouldn't have been able to approach him. But he condescended to a low estate. He took the form of a servant and the lowest form of a servant. And he did a job that wasn't a very good job. I don't know, some of you might have a job that's not a very good job. Some of you might have a job that's kind of demeaning, you might feel. 
Maybe you've got a mop in one hand and a scrub brush in the other. I don't know. There's nothing wrong with work. I don't care what kind of work it is. But the Lord Jesus, who was the highest, condescended and took the lowest place, and he washed his disciples' feet. Has he stopped that? Has he stopped washing disciples' feet? No. To this day, he does it, doesn't he? What did he teach his disciples about that? That which you have seen me do? You do. Condescend. In Korea, where I have the privilege to work, there is a system there called Confucianism. It's a system of hierarchy. And each person has their place and their position. High position gets treated well, low position gets treated poorly. In some ways, it's like that in the United States. But over there, it's pronounced. It's almost a caricature. It's, it's so pronounced that it's almost, it's almost bizarre. And each person has a place. And it's, it's Confucianism. And what they will say, this is our culture. This is our Korean culture. And I will say to them, what is more important or what supersedes the other? Church culture or Korean culture? You see, because Confucianism will make you a great Korean. They'll make you a horrible Christian. Confucianism is always trying to seek a higher position over other people. Always. The Lord Jesus taught us to condescend and to think of others, how? More highly than yourself. There it's upside down. And you know, when confusionism comes into the church, that's a bad deal. And it needs to be not just tidied up, it needs to be ripped out. Because any culture that supersedes church culture is an evil culture. Can't happen. Who's the highest person in our assembly? Who's the, who's the one with the most rank? That's it, my brother. Who has the lowest rank here? There ain't no rank. There is no rank. There is no rank. There is no high. And there is no low. You are one in Christ. Certain people have responsibilities and they're going to have to give an account for that. But that doesn't mean they're higher than you. And other people, maybe you don't have as much service. You don't have as much responsibility. But that doesn't mean you're not going to have to give an account for the responsibility that you do have. If your responsibility is simply getting to church on time, then do it! Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Be humble in the way that He was humble. Take upon yourself, in a sense, the form of a servant. Being true to yourself and true to God. Daniel was, in effect, always doing those things that God had asked him to do. And it it was those things that they used to try to trip him up. If you're going to be tripped up, my brothers and sisters, be tripped up doing that which is right. I think there's something written somewhere in the Bible that says something about if you are punished as an evildoer, well, what good is that? But if you are punished for righteousness, well, that's a different story altogether. If you're punished for the name 
of Christ, that's a different story altogether. So if you're going to be tripped up, be tripped up doing that which God would have you to do. Jesus Christ, the same... Well, you can't see it. <laughs> the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know, the Lord Jesus is consistent. Can you imagine... If one day you went to the Lord Jesus and he was a little tired of hearing your complaining. Jamel, knock it off, man. I'm just so sick of it. Malcolm, please. Tim, get over yourself. You know, he's always ready to hear you. He's always ready to hear you. Imagine this. You never did anything to make him love you. There's nothing you could do to make him love you. He chose to love you. There's nothing you can do to make him love you less. Can you imagine a relationship like that? I hope you can. Because if you know the Lord Jesus, that's a relationship that you have. He loves you with a never-ending love. On Failing love. Our last slide, we'll conclude with this. I didn't have time to share my testimony, brother. A little bit, I worked in, but there's just so much to say and no time to say it. Daniel was loyal. Even to a pagan king, he was loyal. Sometimes believers and Christians in the workplace are not really loyal to their boss. They're not really loyal to their supervisors. And they give the Lord a bad name. I failed in that area before. Breaks the heart later to think about it. But you know, Daniel didn't fail. He was loyal. Even when he knew that he had to deliver bad news, I want to to remind you of the writing on the wall. Can you imagine having to go in and tell the king, you're going to die? He was loyal. See, his loyalty worked in an interesting way. He was loyal both to God and to men. I know some people who think they only have to be loyal to God. And the sad part is, when somebody is in a mindset like that, they're really not loyal to God. See, it's easy to say that you love God. It's easy to say that you'll obey God. It's easy to say those things. It's very difficult to actually do it. But in our story today that I've done such a uh, horrible job of <laughs> telling you about, this Daniel, this man, he was loyal. In marriage, loyalty is very important. If you're not loyal to your husband, how long will that marriage last? Oh, you might go on. Divorce is bad, don't want to get but you're not happy and he's not happy and you've got a miserable marriage. Husbands, how long will your marriage thrive if you're not loyal to your wife? won't thrive. Loyalty 
tremendously important. Workplace, marriage, relationships in your church, very, very important. Never, ever, never, ever be disloyal to your wife, to your husband, to your church, to your God. I want to end this evening on a upbeat kind of a note and I hope I haven't brought you down too low with that last last slide. I know even as I'm saying it, I think of the many times that I failed in my desire to be loyal and yet having failed. But I want to remind you, I guess in an upbeat way if I could, that Peter was a disciple who loved the Lord. But you know, when somebody asked him on the night that he was betrayed, are you one of his disciples? Do you remember what he said? No. Are you sure you sound like one? No. You sure you don't know? No. I know not the man! When Christ saw him the next time, do you remember how Christ treated Peter? How did he treat him? Peter, lovest thou me? Yes, Lord. Feed my sheep. Peter, you know it. What did he say? Lovest thou me? More than these. <laughs> and then finally, Peter said, Lord, you know everything. There was a lot in that, wasn't there? You know, I betrayed you that night. But you also know, I love you, Lord. And if, and I'm probably, if you're anything like me, there have been times where you have been less than loyal. But don't let that keep you from talking to the Lord. And on bended knee and bowed head with a loving heart, tell him once again, yes, Lord, I love you. You know everything. Here in his love, not that we first loved God, but that he first loved us. Yes? Right? Yeah. And he will continue to love you. Fail though you may, he will continue to uphold you. And one day he will present you faultless before his glory. Do you believe that? I hope you do, because it's true. Think of that. Think of that one day. You know, many of you may have had that report card going home to mom and dad a little shaky in the knees. I'm not so sure. But you have certainty that he will deliver you faultless. In him. Well, I hope that was a little bit of a, a picker upper there, and I hope that you have that in your mind as we part company for this evening that one day you are going to be presented faultless before Christ Jesus in his glory. At this point, brother, I'm not sure whether I should just ask somebody to pray or we should sing a hymn or whatever we'd like, whatever. Um, what's a good one, my brother? What's a good hymn to part on? I put you on the spot, didn't I? Yeah. Anybody help? Let's end with a hymn.
545, search me, O God.